Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. This week on the podcast, a lot of people love a low-carb diet, so are you not a fan of low-carb diets? Carbohydrates get such a bad rap, but they're so important to our overall wellness. What do we say to the youth and to the parents of the youth about energy drinks? The issue with those energy drinks is they're way too high in as far as milligrams of caffeine that a, a smaller body really needs, which sugar and caffeine together is a very bad combination for increasing your anxiety. Angie Ashy is a board certified sports dietitian and the owner of Elite Sports Nutrition. Angie began her professional experience after obtaining a dual Bachelor of Science degree in dietetics and exercise science from the University of Nebraska. She went on to complete her dietetic internship and Master of Science in Nutrition and Physical Performance at St. Louis University. Since founding her company, Angie and her team of sports dietitians have worked with hundreds of college and professional athletes nationwide in MLB, NFL, and NHL. She has become a media spokesperson for international brands and is also the author of Fuel Your Body, How to Cook and Eat for Peak Performance. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, I am really excited to talk to my guest. Like the bio said, a sports dietitian who is so knowledgeable in the things with nutrition and sports, and I'm just really excited to talk to her today. So welcome to the show, Angie. Thank you so much for having me today, Carlin. Well, like I said, I have so many questions to ask you, but before we delve into some things, will you just tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and why you got started in this? Yeah. So like you said, I'm a sports dietitian and really my interest or or my passion for performance nutrition started back when I was a teenager. So I was a competitive athlete myself. And as I'm sure many of your listeners have experienced, I personally experienced a lot of gastrointestinal issues. So I had a lot of GI issues going on when I was swimming and dancing were my two primary sports. And I just got really frustrated because I wasn't seeing improvements in my performance. I just felt awful when I was swimming all the time. And so I thought there has to be something here that I'm doing wrong that I can, that I can fix and change. So made some adjustments and learned a little bit about nutrition, even at like 14, 15 years old, made adjustments to my diet and noticed a significant difference, even just on day one. So I thought it, it was kind of my light bulb moment. Like, holy cow, if, if nutrition can have this much of an impact, why is everybody not doing this? Like, how, how does everyone not know about this? And, and then I took a, a career education class in high school. It was sophomore year, kind of just, you know, what are your interests? What are your passions to kind of lead you in the direction of where you want to go? And it was like nutrition, nutrition researcher, exercise science. I'm like, okay, well, clearly so there's got to be a way to kind of bring these all together. Right. And so my dad was a sports medicine doctor for a very long time. And so I knew kind of just the impact that obviously keeping active people and athletes very healthy had on on longevity of their playing career and, and what have you. And so he introduced me to a sports dietitian and I was like, I didn't even know this would exist. And it really does combine the exercise science piece and the nutrition piece together. So that's kind of where where my my practice began. I, I became a board certified specialist in sports dietetics went on to, well, kind of backtracking a little bit. My master's is in nutrition and physical performance. Then I I went on after working as a sports dietitian for other people for a little while, I went on my own and started my own private practice. So now I've had elite sports nutrition for 10 years, going on 10 years now. And I have two, yeah, I have two amazing dietitians that work with me, Dana and Claire. We work with high school, college, professional athletes. And I especially work with a lot of baseball players. So MLB is very near and dear to my heart because not only professionally, I've worked with baseball players for that long, but I'm also married to my husband is a former baseball player. He played professionally for 10 years and now he's a coach in MLB as well. So I truly live and breathe this sport and I get to see all of the good things and the not so good things that come with baseball life. So that's a little bit about about me and, and how I got into this field. I love that you just had like an issue, like in high school, not feeling well. And you're like, I'm going to figure this out. And you figured it out and just had a love and a passion. Now you're helping others with it. I think that's so awesome. So I'm curious because you said on day one of changing your nutrition, you felt better. 
And so were you eating terrible or what did you change that just instantly helped you? Terrible. So terrible. You would be appalled at what my typical pre-swim meal was. But uh, there was a Burger King right next to where the pool was that we swam at at night. And so I would always get a Junior Whopper value meal with a Dr. Pepper, all the things. So I was having just so much volume of food, so much fat, so much right before I went to swim and really not enough carbohydrates, not enough veggies, fruits. I, I just didn't know any better. And I mean, I never had education. And then my mom was like, sure, this, this seems like a well-balanced meal. So, so that's what I would have. And then I, again, you know, a lot of it was like magazines, reading different articles and things. Cause back then we didn't have social media or half the things on the internet we have now. And it was just kind of educating myself on, okay, maybe I'll try pasta, just plain pasta. And I'll do a grilled chicken breast. And I did a salad. And for the first time I didn't have side stitches, side cramps. I didn't have constipation where I would go days without going to the bathroom. Like it was just such a huge difference that making those small modifications, I just kind of, you know, it kind of just continues on and builds up from there. Once you make one good healthy habit, you kind of see, okay, what's the next thing I can do? What's the next thing? And so I feel like that was kind of the first little, little building block of, of me making a lot of different positive changes to my nutrition. While still some of them weren't also great because I was only in high school. So I didn't know completely what I was doing, but it was, it was better. Well, it's a journey and it's one little change at a time. And I laugh because my high school years were Burger King almost every day for lunch. I didn't know any better. <laughs> it was right there. And yep. that's where we went. Now I look back and I'm like, how did my body even function? I do not know. Okay. But talking about feeling better when you ate better for your exercise. So I feel like it's becoming more and more trendy for especially professional athletes to really eat healthy. They're concerned about what they're eating and what they're putting in their body. But I feel like a lot of it is for their endurance. And so are there certain nutrients that people should consume that would help them with their endurance? Because I know even as a, a stay-at-home mom or any mom or any woman or anyone listening to this right now, one of the hardest things about working out is the endurance, like you get exhausted. So what can we do differently in our diets? Good question. And I think, I mean, this is where so individualized because all three macronutrients play a role in endurance and stamina. So carbohydrates and proteins and fats, if you're falling short on any of those three, you're going to experience the symptoms of of just early onset fatigue. So I would argue that with endurance specifically, and in the case of exercise, carbohydrates are going to be the biggest factor there. They're going to play the biggest role. And that's because when we are performing at higher intensities or that long duration endurance exercise, our body relies on carbohydrates. Now, if it's lower intensity, then that's going to be more fat oxidation. So that's where fats play a larger role there. So I would argue, especially you, I think you specifically brought up females, the amount of females that come to me that are under eating, under fueling, they're especially under eating protein. Those are the issues that we commonly see. So that's something where we would address consuming adequate energy or calories in general, and then working from there on seeing, okay, let's get a little bit more protein here, a little bit more carbohydrates, a little bit more fat specific to their energy needs. But it really can just depend on, on where they are with each macronutrient, what they're kind of falling short on. The other big one is iron. So if you're someone that you, and females too, have higher iron needs. So if you're someone who you are constantly just feeling that midday or end of day fatigue, you know, I would definitely get iron levels checked. We take blood work from all of our athletes. We check iron, vitamin D, B12, because those three especially are linked to things like fatigue. And just like you said, feeling like you're running on empty at the end of the day. But also, I mean, if you're a mom of multiple kids and there, there truly is just not enough energy in the day to, to handle all the tasks that we as moms and, and busy parents in general do. Moms are definitely busy. I mean, all people are busy, you know, but I do feel though, if we fuel our bodies properly, we can have the energy to work out and feel good and enough energy throughout the day. So we can't always use busyness or you know, having lots of kids or little kids be our excuse. But okay, mm -hmm. so I want to go back to carbs, because that's a scary word for some women. A lot of people love a low carb diet. So are you not a fan of low carb diets? 
Well, here's the thing. When we look at the quality of carbohydrates, that's what matters the most. And then we work with a lot of youth athletes too. And when you look at youth athletes, especially they're, they're being pushed the sports drinks and the sugary cereals that are just, they're lacking in micronutrients. Well, in the case of cereals, sometimes they've had a bunch added back to it, but that's because they didn't have any to begin with. So it's tricky because carbohydrates get such a bad rap, but they're so important to our overall wellness. I mean, when we look at carb sources, they are fiber, they're prebiotics. So things like whole grains, legumes or lentils, beans, fruits and vegetables, those are some of the best sources of, of prebiotics that we can get in our diet. And they're, of course, carbohydrates. Now they do have other components in there, like beans have a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat. So you get benefits from, from eating those kinds of foods as well that beyond just carbohydrates. But I will say that, yeah, carbohydrates get a bad rap, and it's often just because it's the type of carbohydrates that they're eating. And the, the benefit that you get with eating those kinds of carbs is you're also getting so many more antioxidants. You're getting so many more polyphenols when you eat those foods, vitamins and minerals that support recovery and so many other things. I almost wish we could call the lentils and the beans and the fruits and veggies something different than carbs. You know what I mean? And called the white flour and the sugar and all of those things I don't know. I wish they had different names and weren't clumped into the same group because it is, it's the white flour and the sugar and those carbs that need to be minimized, not the fruits, veggies, you know, beans, things like that. Okay. You mentioned though, younger athletes. And so let's talk about younger athletes for a minute. Where are they lacking in nutrients and are they needing the same nutrients that like moms need for working out versus professional athletes? Is it similar? Help us out with that. So this is a good question. It totally, again, depends on what that youth athlete is participating in. So the type of sport and the activity. But I think that there's a common misconception or myth that youth athletes need less calories because they have smaller bodies. But what we often don't consider is the energy cost of growth that's taking place. So they are in such a state of growth and development that this in turn has an impact on your basal metabolic rate. It's just one of the many factors like thermic effect of food or non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Well, the energy cost of growth is added right onto that as increasing their calorie needs. So I would argue that energy needs are definitely higher in this group, especially to promote that cognitive function, making sure they're staying focused and able to concentrate on the tasks at hand with long hours at school. Calcium is another one. So calcium is highest with the youth athlete age group, the highest needs. It's about 1300 milligrams compared to about a thousand milligrams for adults and calcium and vitamin D go hand in hand. If you don't have enough calcium or vitamin D one or the other, they really do play a role synergistically together to promote and optimize bone health. So that's one thing that I really stress with youth athletes, making sure they're getting enough calcium and vitamin D in their diet. Vitamin D especially is, is of concern for me with athletes that are only training indoors. So think like dancers or gymnasts. You know, you never see gymnasts training outdoors or same with dancers, really. They're always inside. Swimmers to some extent, except for the summer months. So it, it gets really tricky with this population because then they don't have any sunlight really when they're training. And that can also impact vitamin D levels. So their needs are, are even higher there as well. And they have that higher risk of bone fracture. And, and you see that too with this population. A, a lot of that could also be just because they are having lower, lower energy intakes as well. But iron is another one that's higher. You have greater amount of blood volume with growth and development. And once girls start their menstrual cycles, their iron needs increase as well. So iron is another big focus here. And protein too. Protein is, is really important here in this population because again, protein is so key with building and repairing muscle tissue and helping aid in, in growth and, and development. And if they don't have enough protein, that's really hard to do. Okay. I have a few questions about this because I'm a mom with teenagers and mine have played high school sports. And so I'm thinking as you're talking like, okay, if I can relate to other moms who are listening to this, are they now thinking, oh, should I give a calcium supplement, an iron supplement to my high school basketball player, high school football player, or can they get that 1300 milligrams from food, even though they hate milk? What are your suggestions on that? 
and milk is tricky because dairy products really are a good source of, you know, if they don't eat any yogurt or cottage cheese or any of that, it, it does make it a little more challenging. But there are other sources too, uh, and see even juices and things that have calcium and vitamin D added. But I do think that oh, you can get a very high quality multivitamin as kind of an insurance policy. It won't necessarily heal everything. And there's something to be said for the synergistic effects of eating a whole food source that has such a benefit on our overall health compared to just taking one single supplement. But I think it is, a, like I said, a good insurance policy if you want to just have them do that while, while hopefully they start introducing more calcium-rich foods or uh, you know, more vitamin D-rich foods, which is tricky to do because vitamin D is not in a lot of food sources unless you're eating like 10 eggs a day, which I have a lot of athletes that love eggs and they don't even eat, get close to 10 right. uh, or, or salmon, which not every athlete loves fish. So right. that can be tricky too. So, I mean, it's, why not? It's, it's a very low risk thing to add in. And if it helps them meet their micronutrient needs, then I think it's fine. Okay. Good to know. So I want to go back to endurance though, with now younger athletes, because before every high school game, I'm always seeing these kids with energy drinks. And sometimes I'm even seeing the parents give energy drinks or the parents giving pre-workouts saying they need these. And so what do we say to the youth and to the parents of the youth about energy drinks? Oh man, this is one area that just really makes me sad and drives me crazy because I see just kind of the very poor habit loop that's taking place. What's happening is a lot of them are staying on their cell phones or watching TV way too late at night. So they have a late night of screen time, which leads to a late bedtime and then they're not getting enough sleep. So now they're already entering the day fatigued and they need they feel like they need to rely on that caffeine for energy. So I'd say number 1 backing up and really prioritizing sleep. You know, youth athletes especially should be aiming for 9 hours. So if they aren't getting those 9 hours in, then it's just going to be that continuous spiral of feeling like they need to add in a, a caffeine supplement or or an energy drink. And the, the issue with those energy drinks is they're way too high in as far as milligrams of caffeine that a, a smaller body really needs. That's a, 300 milligrams. That's a lot. And some of those you have even more. And they're also tied in with other stimulants, which can really have a negative impact on use. So I would be very cautious of this. They're often also combined with sugars, which sugar and caffeine together is a very bad combination for increasing your anxiety. And a lot of youth athletes struggle with performance anxiety with, you know, once they get out on the court or once they get out on the field already feeling anxious, and now you just loaded them up with sugar and caffeine. That's truly the worst thing you can do. So really prioritize sleep, make that a focus, increase their fluids from caffeine free sources, and then obviously make sure that they're getting enough carbohydrates, proteins, and fats to really ensure that they have the proper fuel that they need to help keep them energized. Yeah, these energy drinks are crazy to me because we just went to a state football game and one of the football players was just puking on the field, just like nonstop. And I said to everyone around me, he probably had two, three energy drinks, wanted to be hyped for the game and this is what happened. And then we went to another game and one of the kids passed out. And I said, same thing, probably three or four energy drinks in his heart probably had an issue with it, you know? And so as parents, if you're listening and you're a parent, it the energy, like you said, needs to come from the carbs the and mm-hmm. having the fat and the protein with the carbs. And so actually, let's talk about when people carb overload. Do you think that's a good thing or not necessarily? What are your thoughts? It's a very, very small population that actually needs to carb load. And I will make this specific to, again, we work with a wide range of athletes here at our, at our private practice. The only ones we really have carb load are the people that are marathon runners, ultra, they're doing ultra races, whether ultra cycling or any type of ultra endurance race or Ironman. So anyone that's going to be doing a very prolonged form of endurance training and needs that what's called hypercompensation or basically just really large stores of glycogen, those are the people that benefit from carb loading. And and what carb loading really is, is it's starting two to three days out of consuming more carbohydrates in your diet, but again, focusing on high quality sources. So you're not just, you know, adding spoonfuls of sugar in. we want to make sure that we're getting a lot of polyphenols, antioxidants, which are truly the, the key when it comes 
to muscle recovery too. Um, if, if anyone has issues with muscle soreness or, or just a really hard time recovering, uh, those antioxidants are so important. So making sure that we're getting those in with that increased carbohydrate. Okay. So the high school soccer player, the college basketball player, they don't need to do the carb overloading. No, the carb loading, no, they I should could, say. It's fascinating because actually we do have research that, that youth athletes, they run out of glycogen stores faster. So they actually do need to rely on carbohydrates more. So their carbohydrate demands during training is actually much higher than say, if you or if I were going to a CrossFit workout, like their carbohydrate needs are going to be higher. So that's something we're having a simple source of carbohydrates that's still, again, rich in antioxidants, hopefully. Uh, that's going to be really helpful for them because they will need the continuous carbohydrates before, likely during, if it's longer than, say, hour, 90 minutes long, and then after as well. Okay, that's Interesting. That's good. I asked you, you were talking about muscle soreness and I want to ask you about this because I have a daughter who is a gymnast, a teenager, and she came home the other night, so sore. And the next day, so sore, um, just having the hardest time even walking. And so are there certain nutrients that can help minimize soreness or what should we be looking at to help with that soreness? Okay. So this is where whole foods, this is where I preach whole foods in my practice. Because I'll give you the example of almonds. So one of my favorite foods to recommend is almonds. And that's because when we look at the skins of almonds, they are rich in polyphenols. And polyphenols are antioxidants. I'll go back to that in a second. And then when we look at the rest of the almond, they're rich in vitamin E. They have in just one serving of almonds or 23 almonds, they have 50% your daily amount of vitamin E. So wow. that's another antioxidant. And they also have 20% magnesium. So 20% of your daily value of magnesium in just one serving. And magnesium, as I'll get to in a second too, has a huge role on muscle contraction and, and reducing muscle soreness. And the cool thing is there's research to, to back this up. A, a recent study actually talked specifically about almonds and their benefit with muscle soreness, which is pretty cool. But I'm going to give you an example here of Legos. So using a, a toddler with Legos to talk about muscle soreness and what's kind of taking place in the body, because I feel like it's just an easy analogy here. When you have any form of exercise, like your daughter, for example, doing gymnastics, maybe her workout isn't too intense. It's kind of an easier practice. She likely has some form of free radicals that take place. A little bit of free radicals in the body is an okay thing. It's expected. It's what helps with training adaptation and making improvements. So in this Lego example, let's say this toddler has a five-piece Lego set that they just spilled out on the floor. So chances are the toddler is able to take those five Legos and bring them back together, put them together, put them in the box by themselves without much help. Same sense here in the free radical example, okay? Now, let's say a family member, a very kind family member went out and bought your toddler a thousand piece Lego set and that toddler just spilled that out everywhere on the floor. And that's going to be the basically example of your daughter maybe having a really intense or prolonged strenuous gymnastic session that now she's having some severe muscle soreness. Okay. So there, he just spilled all the Legos out on the floor. The toddler's not going to be able to put all those free radicals or all of those Legos back together where they need to be. They, he needs to recruit some help. So this is where mom and dad are basically polyphenols, antioxidants come in and these antioxidants help and pull those Legos back together, puts them in the box where they need to be so that the next day, the toddler can go and spill them all over the floor again, just fine. And then they can just keep coming back and helping them put them all back together. But without antioxidants, without polyphenols, it's going to be really hard to get back to a place where you feel like you can work at the same intensity the next day. That's where a lot of athletes, when they don't recover properly, they can't perform as well the next day. It's just, it's impossible. You're sore. You can't you know, you can't squat as much weight or you can't, you know, do this and that. So it's, it's, it's run as fast. It's, it's so, so tricky when it comes to, to really optimizing performance when you have that muscle soreness going on. So I'd say antioxidants, polyphenols are huge. And where to find those in food sources? Plants are the number one source. So fruits and vegetables, tart cherries, berries, uh, nuts, seeds, like I mentioned with the almonds or leafy greens, those are all great sources of polyphenols. Now, in the case of magnesium, like I mentioned, that's another one that's been linked in research to help with muscle soreness. And in this specific study that I'm thinking of, they were supplementing with 300 milligrams of magnesium. So that's something where, especially with our you know, professional athletes that are going through this daily 
it day in and day out. They have games every single day. They don't really have the time to recover. They're someone that we highly recommend magnesium supplementation to because it can get a little tricky to get that much in in one day unless they're really doing a great job of getting a ton of plant foods in their diet. Magnesium is also found in plants, so that's important too. Um, I'd argue that protein, eating enough protein helps with muscle soreness too, and omega-3 fatty acids as well. Omega-3 fatty acids are anti-inflammatory, so making sure that you're getting enough of those in your diet as well, which things like fatty fish, hemp seeds, chia seeds, flax seeds, those are all good sources. I love that analogy you use. Um, that was great. And I love though the talk about polyphenols and antioxidants with muscle soreness, because I've actually interviewed quite a few people about sports nutrition or working out things like that. And that has never been brought up as a way to reduce muscle soreness. So I'm really glad you touched upon that. Let's take a quick break to hear from our show sponsor. Summer or actually any holiday season is such a delightful time, isn't it? A chance to take a break from the daily grind and enjoy life to the fullest. However, all the fun aside, we often find ourselves taking a break from our health routine too. Late nights, irregular eating habits, and indulgence becomes the norm. But when the vacation season winds down, it's time to get back on track with our health. Although it may not be easy, it's essential for our well-being. If you struggle to return to your health routine, I have a valuable lesson to share. Focus on majors. Prioritize healthy eating, exercise, and above all, quality sleep. Just one interesting fact about sleep to mention. Drinking more than two servings of alcohol per day for men and more than one serving per day for women can decrease sleep quality by 39.2%. Sleep Foundation survey reports not even mentioning all the indulgent food and late night effects. And sleep is the key to your body's rejuvenation and repair process. It controls hunger and weight loss hormones, boosts energy levels, and impacts countless other vital functions. Good night's sleep will improve your well-being much more than anything else. Sleep is your major to focus on. That's why I recommend you start taking magnesium daily, but not any supplement. Get Magnesium Breakthrough by BioOptimizers. Magnesium Breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. The sleep benefits are truly remarkable, and once your sleep is optimized, you'll find it much easier to tackle all the other major aspects of your health. Trust me, it's a game changer. Visit magbreakthrough.com backslash JustIngredients and enter code JustIngredients10, again that's JustIngredients10, for 10% off any order. This special offer is only available at magbreakthrough.com backslash JustIngredients. Now back to the show. So I have a question though, is inflammation in athletes what's also causing the soreness or not necessarily? Yeah. So delayed onset muscle soreness, DOMS is, is the main cause of muscle soreness. And inflammation is a tricky topic because, and it kind of goes with the, the instance of like how I mentioned that free radicals are kind of, you're going to have a little bit of them regardless. Um, but the same thing happens with inflammation. You'll have acute inflammation after a workout, but that's actually kind of a good thing because it helps with that, like I mentioned, that training adaptation that takes place. So one of the worst things you can do is, which we've had to talk a lot of athletes through this who just had you know bad advice in the past, they were taking things like NSAIDs or large doses of antioxidants after immediately after a workout thinking, oh, this will help reduce my inflammation. But that's actually what we find in research to be counterproductive. So that would be like a mega dose of vitamin E you don't want to do after a workout. Taking NSAIDs after a workout, you also don't want to do. So we do want a little bit of that acute inflammation. It's, it's when that acute becomes chronic. So like I said, when that thousand piece Lego set gets thrown on the floor, like you need help in that case. Okay. So I know personally, and most of us know that it's, you know, the sugar that's causing inflammation, the fast food, the seed oils, the, you know, white flour, things like that. And I'm thinking, well, most high school kids, that's the majority of what they eat. So is this playing a huge role in their recovery and their muscle soreness? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tricky because if most athletes, most youth athletes do, and actually most Americans in general, I want to say only 9% of Americans are getting enough vegetables per day, like the recommended vegetables a day, which is two to three cups. That's insane. So 
and I don't know the exact percentages of, of high school high school kids, but I would I would assume it's maybe even lower than that. So I think it's it's our job as parents. I I have a young daughter myself. I think it's our job as parents to really just help encourage them to eat those foods when they are at home because there's going to be instances it's out of their it's out of our control if they're out of practice with with other food sources or they're at school and maybe you know you didn't pack their lunch there's going to be instances sleepovers things like that where it's out of your control so if you can just at least control the controllable and if you're eating those foods regularly they're hopefully going to be also eating those foods regularly too i wouldn't put a ton of vegetables or fruits on my daughter's plate and expect her to eat them if I'm not also eating those foods. So I feel like this trying to get your kids to eat healthy, it, it often I feel like it's helpful for the parents too, because it's now they have to eat those foods as well. I love that advice. And I'm sitting here wondering, how do we also give this advice though to coaches? Because coaches are the same way. There's some coaches that are really into nutrition. And then one of my kids has a coach that brings Sunny D and donuts for breakfast in their morning practices. And I'm like, how do we go about helping the coaches? Oh, that is tricky. I mean, and I've, I've worked with some amazing coaches who are so receptive to education. And I think in this case, this is where bringing on a dietitian to talk to their team, including the coaches is really helpful. I've actually talked to some coaches associations to really help educate strength coaches on nutrition because it's not their fault. They've never really had, especially if they're a high school coach, they've never had nutrition courses. And I know if they're a CSCS or a certified strength and conditioning specialist, then they do have a little bit of nutrition knowledge just from going through that certification. But again, it's nothing like a full on nutrition, you know, college course by any means. So I think it's just expanding their knowledge level, hopefully getting them to just be a little bit more open to learning about these kinds of things, I think would be tremendously helpful. And and helpful not only for themselves too in their own health, but for all of the athletes that they're buying these snacks for. <laughs> well, and then that makes me think about even like the halftime snacks or the after game snacks for younger kids. I just want to actually pull my hair out sometimes of the stuff that is brought because it's so unnecessary. So do you give suggestions to parents of like, hey, maybe bring these things instead for these after game snacks? Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of fruit in general, whether that's dried fruit or pouches with fruit, because here you're you're getting the carbohydrates. And this is my issue. People will argue with like sports dietitians or, or other people may, may argue, well, carbs are carbs, sugars are sugars. And, you know, why not just get in the sports drink because it's a simple source of, of, of sugars. And while I understand that, I do, I do understand that any form of carbohydrates that's simply digested is going to be helpful. You have to remember a lot of these kids they don't have the meal frequency down. They're not eating enough to begin with. They have poor appetites either before or after exercise, which is a common issue that we experience. So if we're already struggling to get enough nutrients in, and this is one opportunity to really focus on, hey, they need a source of carbs. Why not just get a source that's a little bit better in antioxidants, a little bit richer in vitamins and minerals? So even something like if you've seen those squeezable like I, I see them all the time because I have a two-year-old, but they're like fruit pouches that have, it's literally just unsweetened applesauce is all it is. So now not only are you getting a simple source of carbohydrates with nothing else added, but you're also getting a little bit of polyphenols in there and some vitamin C, which is an antioxidant too. So they're getting some more nutrition out of that versus just something like fruit snacks or something like that. So I think that could be one instance. Bananas are another great option. It's super easily digested. I would argue making like your own little energy balls is such a great idea and packing those with nutrition, using oats as the base here for carbohydrates, or, you know, again, maybe putting like some, you could use like some honey or something, put a little bit of almond butter in there. You could put some protein powder in there if you wanted to, to really make sure that they're getting enough, enough carbs and protein. But I think making those, those little energy balls, granola bites might be a good idea too. Love those suggestions. I'm always about bringing better choice snacks or, you know, these halftime treats, things like that. Um, okay. But talking about protein, you just mentioned protein and I haven't asked you this. What are your thoughts on how much protein athletes should get? Because you hear every number out there. And so what is the best advice? This is where it really is all over the board. I feel like if you ask one health professional versus another, they may give a slightly different range. The range I typically give based on the research is between 1.6 and 2.2 grams per kilogram body weight. And this comes out to be about a little less or up to one 
gram per pound body weight. So that's ideal for most adult. Again, this is for adults, 18 and older, uh, for most adult athletes. Youth is going to be a little bit lower, like 1.2 grams per kilogram body weight would be ideal for, say, a youth athlete. But these adult athletes, again, it's, it's really going to depend on their body composition goals. If they're trying to lose a significant amount of weight, or maybe they're trying to build on a certain amount of muscle, then they're going to be on the higher end of that range. Whereas if you have someone like maybe an endurance athlete who has a higher need for carbohydrates and they're already at their maximum am amount of, of, of calorie or energy needs, then they may be on the lower end there of protein around closer to like 1.6. But it totally depends on the person, the sport and their goals. But I'd say somewhere within that range is, is ideal per day. Okay. That's good to know. So my high school athletes, we're okay if it's about one gram of protein per pound. Yeah, it might be a little high, honestly. I mean, okay. I, I wouldn't be too concerned of it. The only reason I'd be concerned of that is if they're not getting enough of the other macronutrients. So if they're under consuming carbohydrates or falling short on fats, especially because fats are so important for that growth and development, that's where I feel like would be the biggest issue. But otherwise, again, I mean, their calorie needs are so high. Like I would say the average 16-year-old boy is 3,800 calories. So really, when you think about it, I mean, it's, it's going to average out that probably about a gram per pound is fine. Okay. So talking about that, I know from having teenage athletes, they want to build muscle. So that's why they're, you know, taking that much protein. And so thoughts on building muscle, but also they want creatine for building muscle. So thoughts on creatine. This is a very, very common topic that I get asked. Uh, it's funny because I, I've been told by a handful of people I should be the spokesperson for creatine because I, I love it so much. And it truly has so many fantastic benefits, both from performance perspective, muscle growth, like you mentioned, and also cognitive function too. So if you're someone listening today that you're really interested in the research behind creatine, I highly recommend uh, two researchers specifically that are very well known on this topic. Abby Smith-Ryan is fantastic. And Scott Forbes is another uh, researcher on this topic too. And what I like about Abby uh, specifically is she really highlights female athletes. She does a lot of studies specific to females, which if you look at most sports nutrition research, 90% at least is in males. So it's really cool that she's focusing on, on the research in, in females as well. And, uh, and she looks at creatine too in, in females and the benefits there. But I will say that if you're a youth athlete and you're in a massive calorie deficit, so you're under consuming already by a thousand calories, which this has happened before. And you think that just adding in creatine is going to help promote muscle growth. Like you could not be more far off here. It may benefit performance in some ways or another. And it may, especially since it helps promote that ATP, you may have a, you know, more endurance, more stamina, but as far as really building and gaining mass, you're not going to have that unless you're in a calorie surplus. So oftentimes, with youth sports, they will really emphasize the protein and they'll be perfect with their protein, but they're still in a calorie deficit. And it's because they're not eating enough carbohydrates and they're not eating enough fats. So that's where really increasing the carbs, increasing the fats can actually be tremendously helpful here because now you're in a slight calorie surplus to support that muscle growth and that muscle building that, that that's your goal. And then of course the creatine absolutely will be helpful there, but it's, it's not going to be as helpful if you're in such a large deficit. I wouldn't expect to put on a huge amount of mass there or gain weight. Okay. Those little points are really good to know, but I have a question. Why does creatine then get such a bad rap? Because you'll hear people that love it. And then other people are like, oh, it's the worst. Do not take it. So why is that? I think it gets a bad rap because first I'll blame bodybuilding. I think because it became popular with bodybuilders and a lot of bodybuilders also used HGH. They used testosterone replacement therapy. They used steroids. So it's just, it's often like misinterpreted as and kind of tied into that mix. And so that's number one is I think it's just since it was used by them for good reason, because it helps promote muscle growth and all these benefits. I think that's kind of one of the reasons it got bad rap. Number two, I'd say just because it's it's oftentimes thrown in as a proprietary blend into supplements that aren't very helpful. I'm sure you've seen this if you've walked into any supplement store with a label that says like mass gainer, blah, blah, blah. And then you've got like creatine on the front. So it's just kind of tied into those types of supplements that may kind of also give it a little bit of a bad rap. But when we look at creatine specifically just on its own, creatine monohydrate, 
that component is it's something that we naturally produce, we synthesize in our body every single day. On a daily basis, we produce about one gram. Uh, we consume it in food too. So if you eat something like steak, red meat, you get very small amounts of creatine as well. So what they found in research is that vegans and vegetarians especially benefit the most from creatine supplementation because their levels of creatinine are just already so low because they're not eating those kinds of foods regularly. So I think that might be a few reasons why it got a bad rap, just the lack of education on it. But it really is one of the most researched supplements out there and it's proven to be very safe and effective. I will say as far as like youth athletes though, that's where it's kind of tricky because I often get asked like, oh, well, like what age can I start taking it? Well, unfortunately, the research doesn't specify an age. So it doesn't say 12 and up, 13 and up, 16 and up. So because the research doesn't say it, I don't say it. I think I first look at that individual, that client's diet, see how we can improve that first and then supplement as needed. Uh, we have a handful of high school athletes that do take it and we have other athletes that wait until college or a professional to start taking it. So kind of up to the, the case by case basis. That's good advice. I actually have kids who want to take it. And I've always been like, you know what, as soon as you've gone through puberty, because before puberty, it, it's not going to help that much. I don't think, I mean, you've got to, you know, go through puberty so you can start gaining the muscle mass and all of that in the first place anyways. So I'm like, just be patient. You, you know, you've got some time. Okay. Eat more food, put more yeah. food on your plate first. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Something I get asked a lot though, is when's the best time to take creatine? right after a workout in the morning at night before bed? What do you think? Yeah. So, and this is where research points to, it's one of those supplements that it's really any time of day. It's really whatever is going to be the easiest and most consistent that you remember to take it. Because it's not like caffeine where you feel the effects about 30, 45 minutes after. That's when peak blood levels of caffeine hit. It's not like that. It, it over time saturates your phosphocreatine stores in your muscles. So Typically, what research recommends is it doesn't matter pre or post workout, but ideally somewhere around the time you're exercising. Uh, so maybe, you know, an hour before. I personally love to just add a scoop of it to my smoothie because it's just what I remember. I've got my protein powder right there, my creatine right there. I just put them both in my smoothie and it's just after a workout. So just kind of whatever is going to make you consistent and remember to take it. That's the best time. Okay, two other questions, just because I get asked a lot about creatine. Just for a woman in her 20s, 30s, 40s, not an athlete, but just likes to work out on a regular basis, do you recommend creatine for them as well? I do if they have the goals of seeing improvements in muscular endurance, muscular strength and power. That's what creatine is all linked to. And then also lean mass. So a lot of people, a lot of women especially will be scared to take creatine because they're like, oh, I don't want to bulk up is what they say. But again, you would have to be in a calorie surplus for that to happen. Creatine doesn't just do that on its own. It doesn't just bulk you up just by taking a scoop. You can see, I mean, by looking at me and my measly arms, <laughs> I'm not uh I'm not bulking up too much with my creatine, but it really does help from uh, power and stamina and and like I said, muscular endurance and muscular strength. So the other side of it is the benefit on cognitive health. So there's new research to show that creatine does help with cognitive health. And that's still kind of new and developing and something that I'm still trying to learn more about too. Um, but I think that that's a, a really interesting piece too to, to keep an eye on and, and see the benefit there of, of consuming enough creatine. You answered the next question I was going to talk about because it's <laughs> a fear. Women have this fear that they'll bulk up and then look fat and they don't want creatine. But I also have been doing research about the cognitive function. I mean, reading the research about it, because it is interesting what they're finding out about it. So I like that advice to all the listeners to, you know, go read about it. And like you said, as we get more and more research on this, it will be interesting to see what it says. Okay. So I'm thinking about my moms that are listening to this podcast episode and they're like, yeah, we have teenage athletes. But this seems also overwhelming because my teenage athlete eats crap. You know what I mean? They're eating the McDonald's. <laughs> I know they're thinking like, okay, where do I start? What are the three most important things? Like, what are the three things I should really focus on with my teenager? What would you suggest? Think of it kind of like as a game a little bit of how can I take what they're currently eating and just make it a little bit healthier. And when I mean healthier, I mean adding more nutrients to it, making it more nutrient dense. So with the sugary cereal, let's, let's take, for example, the sugary cereal. Okay. So if they just do not want to give up that cereal, let's add a little bit of fiber to it somehow. And that's going to help with their blood sugar levels. That's going to help with their cognitive function at school. They're just going to be able to concentrate better because they didn't just have a huge amount of sugar and nothing else paired with it. 
So maybe they have some sliced up strawberries or grapes or uh, blueberries, some type of fruit that you know that they personally like and will probably eat with it. And then the next step would be to add in some protein. So if they're only having that cereal on its own, let's try to maybe add a little bit of yogurt to it, like a scoop here and there to it or something to just kind of boost that protein. Or even if they're really against that too, you could even sprinkle maybe a little bit of protein powder in there. I personally love making smoothies for this reason because I think it's just an easy way to get a ton of nutrients in. So that could be another option is if they're like, you know what, they will not change any any way that they're eating, but at least they'll drink this smoothie as a snack during the day. And maybe you load that smoothie up with protein and with fruits and with veggies. If you throw a handful of spinach in there, they're not going to taste it. It might change the color and that might weird them out a little bit, but use some like blueberries or some deeper colored fruits so they don't notice as much. But I think just, again, trying to look at their current meal, what they're eating, and how can you make it just a tiny bit healthier with adding a little bit more of those, those fiber, nutrient-dense foods, and, and of course, protein too. I love that suggestion. And so basically, if they're overwhelmed, just try to make things a little bit more protein-dense or fiber-dense or more real foods, we should say, to each meal that they're having. That's where they should start. Exactly. Okay. I have one other question for you because I know this is huge with athletes and actually anyone working out and we didn't talk about it and that's staying hydrated. So what are your thoughts on electrolytes, but what are your thoughts also on electrolytes like the Gatorades, the Powerades, things like that? Good question. So, and yeah, I can't believe we've made it this far into the podcast and not even talked about hydration. (laughs) This is why, you know, sports nutrition is so, there's just so much to it. it. That's why it has such a big impact on athletes, but hydration obviously is a huge part of the recovery process and electrolytes play a significant role in that. Because if you have someone who's a heavy sweater or just any time that you are sweating, you're losing electrolytes in your sweat, primarily sodium, followed by lesser amounts of potassium and then even lesser amounts of magnesium. Um, You will also have some losses of other minerals too, like calcium. So it just kind of depends on the individual, the type of exercise they're doing and their sweat rate, which could also be um, the result of, you know, high altitudes or maybe they're at high humidities or high temperatures, or maybe they have a lot of layers on like football, for example, has a lot of heavy equipment on that kind of thing can, can impact sweat rate too. So all dependent on that will really depend on how much electrolytes that athlete specifically will need. But again, sodium is going to be the primary one here with potassium closely to follow there. And then magnesium as well should be incorporated. And then as far as fluid intake, hopefully they're consuming around four to six ounces every like 15 to 20 minutes during exercise, or they could do I would say like 16 to 24 ounces before exercise and then after exercise for every pound loss, which can be kind of hard if you're not weighing yourself, but this is kind of a good idea to like try every once in a while to get a good idea of your sweat rate. They would drink 16 to 24 ounces of fluids to replenish every pound loss during exercise. So that's something that we as dietitians obviously help take out a lot of that scientific numbers and whatnot because it it really does vary depending on the person. But electrolyte products are a great thing to add, especially if you, like I said, are a heavy sweater. Super easy addition to throw into your water and electrolyte packet. I will say if you are training at longer durations, you will need that source of carbohydrates too. So I'd say maybe pair it with like a banana or uh, like I mentioned, like the applesauce, simple, simple carbohydrates that you, you know, that you're going to like, and that you tolerate well during exercise. Okay. So what about those Gatorades and Powerades? So, you know what, and, and I'll, I'm going to call out body armor in particular, because body armor is, I think one of the worst offenders because they are so low in sodium, which is the primary electrolyte that you lose in sweat. And then, you know, they, they, they really preach on how they're, they're high in potassium with, with all this coconut water, but it's really primarily coconut concentrate. And then they also had to add potassium to it. So I just feel like it's a, it's kind of a sketchy way that they go around marketing there. And then of course it is a lot of sugar. So if you're someone that, you know, that liquid form of calories works for you, know that you probably have to add an electrolyte packet to it because it's not enough electrolytes and it's likely a little bit too much sugar for most, for most people. So that's where, again, I would look at just better sources of carbohydrates if you have the option. Or even I, I have a lot of athletes that they love making their own sports drink. I have a cookbook, Fuel Your Body. And in that cookbook, I have two homemade sports drink recipes. 
Uh, and one is just simply orange juice, coconut water, and adding some salt to it because that helps get the potassium, magnesium, sodium, and carbohydrates all in one. Oh, I love that. Okay, talking about your own cookbook, tell my listeners where they can find your products and more about you and your business you own, things like that. Yeah, so if you want to keep up with me online, you can follow me at Elite Nutrition. That's E-L-E-A-T, Elite Nutrition, little play on words there. I'm mostly on Instagram. I wish I were better at the other platforms. I just, not enough hours in a day with a toddler. And then you can find me online, EliteNutrition.com is our website. My book is Feel Your Body, How to Cook and Eat for Peak Performance. And it really highlights an anti-inflammatory diet. The first half is all educational, sports nutrition, cooking basics, all of those things, sample meal plans. And then the second half is all nutrient-dense recipes. So it's uh, available on Amazon. You can find it online at Target. You can find it online at Barnes & Noble, pretty much anywhere books are sold. Oh, I love that. I need to actually get that book. That sounds like one I would love. For those listening, go follow her. You teach great advice on your Instagram page. I love what you're teaching. Um, It applies not just to professional athletes. It provides info to parents and to also those that are just working out on a daily basis. And we all know that moving our body is so important for every single person on this planet. So um, go give her a follow. And thank you so much for being here today. You've given us a lot of info. Is there any last things that you would want to tell those that are listening, those that are trying to better fuel their body for their performance, um, anything like that? I would just have to say that nutrition is truly an athlete superpower. I think it's the most important pillar when it comes to, to athletic performance and that Whole Foods is, is where all the nutrients are at. So get more of those in your diet. I love that. I love what you preach and teach. Um, I always close my podcast episodes with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is? I hope no one has said this yet, but I'm going to say gratitude. Oh, I love that. Anyone said that? Uh, maybe <laughs> uh, one or two other people, but that's okay. It. Okay. Yeah, gratitude. And years ago, probably, gosh, it's been at least nine or 10 years, my husband and I, we started every night saying five things that we're grateful for. And I think just just being grateful and having that gratitude and that appreciation for what you have in your life is so huge. And it's it's truly what makes you just, I think, live better and and appreciate things more. And like today, I'm so thankful that I, that I got to be on this podcast and talk to so many people who love and are passionate about nutrition. Like what, a, what an awesome thing. So I think gratitude, especially, and, and especially when you're in the low parts of life, when you are, when are you, you are really down in, in the valleys, I'd say that's, that's the time when you really should look for the things that you're still grateful for. Cause I think that that makes, makes or breaks a, a better life. I love that. And I love gratitude for even your topic of just um, athletic performance, because a couple weeks ago, I was sick and couldn't go to the gym. And I was like, this is the worst. Ever since being healthy, I'm like, oh, I am so grateful that I get to move my body. I am so grateful I have the muscles to be able to lift these things at the gym. You know what I mean? I'm just so grateful for a body that functions and can perform. And so these athletes, especially the teenage athletes, I try to teach them like, be so grateful for your talents that you have and for your body that can do these amazing things because athletes' bodies do do amazing things. So thank you for saying that. That is perfect for your realm of what you do. Thank you. And thank you again so much for having me. Well, again, thank you for being here. And like I said, go give her a follow and thank you for taking the time. I know the listeners have learned quite a bit from you today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.